Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. We get an update on the renovation plans at First Ontario Centre. Most Canadians want the feds to do more to tackle homelessness. Who stayed at a $6,000 a night hotel for the Queen's funeral? You can now learn more about truth and reconciliation. Ticats coach Orlando Steinauer talks CFL free agency. And if you love cars, you'll want to go to the Canadian International Auto Show. Find out more as the GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. The city of Hamilton through Tourism Hamilton and its mandate to bring meetings, conventions, um, major sporting events to the city uh, is always looking for opportunities for events, whether they are regional to international. So we will continue to do that work. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Despite losing out on the 2030 Commonwealth Games, Hamilton's Director of Tourism, Carrie Brooks Joyner, who you just heard, says the city is going to continue to try and bring major events to Hamilton. One of the questions I had was now that Hamilton's quest to host the Commonwealth Games has come to an end, is this going to have any impact on the plans, the renovation plans for First Ontario Centre? Well, the people behind that is the Hamilton Urban Precinct Entertainment Group who's trying to revitalize the downtown core. And uh, the president of that group, as well as the CEO of Carmen's Group, PJ Mercanti, joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. PJ, good morning. Welcome back to the show. Good morning, Rick. Thanks for having me. So the question, does losing the Commonwealth Games bid impact at all the renovation plans at First Ontario Centre? So from the outset of, of our pursuit of the Games and, and simultaneous pursuit of the uh, opportunity to renovate the downtown entertainment facilities, these have always been separate initiatives. And, and you know, even though there have been people in the public realm that have wanted to connect them, we've always treated them independently. And so there will be absolutely zero impact or effect of this news on Commonwealth Games in relation to the arena renovation project. Uh, they're, they're completely independent and our plans uh, for moving forward on the arena remain uh, steadfast and focused. Uh, you know, there will be more news in the coming weeks regarding elements of the renovation plan the partnership and 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 details surrounding it so uh folks put should be very comfortable in knowing that these are two totally independent pursuits not connected um other than the fact that we would have used the entertainment facilities for programming uh, for the commonwealth games and so there will be no impact whatsoever uh, to the renovations as a result of this Commonwealth Games news. Now that there's n- not as much attention uh, or or money being spent on the Commonwealth Games bid, does the budget for the renovation project change in a positive way? They, they, they weren't connected. Uh, so there was no budget overlap with regards to, you know, to, you know, the, the, the budget for the arena renovation was completely independent from the games budget. So due to the fact that they were, there was no overlap whatsoever, there's no uh, cross benefit whatsoever uh, related to that. So obviously as it relates to the, to the, the games funding, uh, there was a games funding formula that included its support from the federal uh, government, provincial government, games generated revenue, uh, and then revenue provided from many municipalities and institutions uh, and other private sector organizations. And so, so there, there is no overlap that will benefit the arena renovation more as a result of this. 
Um, and so, so there's, yeah, uh, I guess that's as simple as I could say in the, in the fact that there, there's no overlap of budgeting. When it comes to the programming element that the Commonwealth Games would have brought to the arena or any of the stakeholders involved in what's going on downtown, getting some cold feet or having some second thoughts, are they all in? Oh, they're, they're all in and, 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 you know, we're all in, in the sense of a lot of the, uh, the same stakeholders are, are, are bullish on Hamilton generally. Uh, uh, you know, I, I think there's, uh, there's nothing to be, to be worried about. And, and, and if anything, uh, you know, the fact that we're now going to be able to put more energy into the downtown entertainment pursuit, you know, if, if we're not going to be investing a substantial amount of time into games initiatives and games work, this just bodes well for, uh, all things downtown Hamilton and 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 Hamilton development in general, uh, and so so you know we're committed uh, to to doing great things with the downtown entertainment district. We're committed to uh, to having you know many focus groups uh, and business roundtables with uh, key stakeholders downtown. You know as the renovation takes place, and we recognize there will be a a, a two year. Uh, you know, 18 month to two year renovation timeline. And so we certainly look forward to working with the Chamber of Commerce, Tourism Hamilton, the city, uh, other downtown stakeholders and the public at large to make sure that downtown remains vibrant and active. You know, we're, we're hopeful that, uh, that there could be greater activation at Tim Hortons Field once the, once the renovation uh, takes place. And so that that way, uh, the restaurants and the businesses downtown remain vibrant. So we're looking forward to to investing more time and energy uh, in the district visioning exercise. That's always been part of the the, the downtown uh, uh, renovation plans, and to engaging with the public at large about great things that can happen for the community both during and after the renovations. Uh, we only got about thirty seconds. If Do you think Hamilton can one day host a Commonwealth Games again? And if so, would you be a part of that again? Oh, I absolutely believe that. And and I think that just because uh, this uh, pursuit is is temporarily halted, that there's no reason why we can't revisit this. We've done a lot of great things with our bid. It's very innovative. We brought in Indigenous partners. Uh, It would have been a $1.2 billion boost to regional GDP, created 16,000 jobs, $400 million in games contracts. The business case is sound. We can always dust off and refresh the bid in the event that uh, there's, uh, you know, various uh, em- enhancements to to government support. So never say never uh, in the sense that, you know, just because it did, didn't happen this time doesn't mean that it can't happen tomorrow. Well, it was, certainly was a fun ride. Unfortunately, it hasn't ended in uh, positive news for Hamilton, but who knows, someday that, uh, that dream can become a reality. PJ, thanks for working on this project, and uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you, Rick. As PJ Mercanti, he's the CEO of Carmen's Group and the president of the Hamilton Urban Precinct Entertainment Group. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Homelessness, huge issue in this community, in this country. Homeless encampments, a burning topic at a Hamilton City Hall, that is for sure. We know the cost of living has Never been greater, at least in this generation, that is for sure, in a few generations. Housing costs through the roof, whether it's your mortgage rates, whether you've moved into a new home and you're looking at that sticker shock thinking, geez, how am I going to afford all this? All big concerns. And it all relates to, uh, I think, a new poll that is out that reveals that most Canadians want the federal government to do more to tackle homelessness in this country. 
And there's a large portion of the population, according to a new poll that's out, nearly 70% who say, you know, what we should have is a homelessness prevention and housing benefit. Tim Richter is the president and CEO of the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Tim, good morning. Welcome to the program. Morning, Rick. You recently uh, executed a poll with Nanos Research and found that mm-hmm. 74% of respondents believe homelessness is getting worse in their community, and 55% want the next federal budget to address this. What would you like the federal government to do? Well, in the short term, uh, we we are calling on the federal government to implement that uh, homelessness prevention and housing benefit that you mentioned as as you you see in Hamilton and we're seeing across the country. There's a a wave of new homelessness coming, uh, driven by the cost of living uh, crisis. Uh, we uh, we work with about eighty cities around the country, including Hamilton, and uh, we took a sampling of fourteen. Uh, cities that uh, have really good data from before the pandemic until October uh, 2022. And we found that uh, 75 or 78% of those communities saw increases in chronic homelessness. And the average increase was over 34%. Uh, and so we, we need the federal government to take some pretty urgent uh, action. And really the only way uh, to stop this wave of new homelessness in the short term is with some form of income support, uh, a housing benefit like we're proposing. So this benefit would be a, a a slot of money that an individual would receive. Would any of it go mm-hmm. towards building affordable housing units as well? Uh, no, we, you know, we absolutely have to continue building affordable housing. Uh, in fact, you know, we think that needs to be a pretty urgent priority. The challenge is uh, that takes time. Um, you know, it would be very difficult, uh, if not impossible, for the federal government or any government to build enough housing uh, in enough time targeted to the right people in order to slow this flow into housing. So what we're calling for while that investment in affordable housing continues that we provide uh, some rental support to to very low income Canadians, the 385,000 households that are in the deepest uh, core housing need. Interestingly, you know, over three quarters of people in core housing need uh, are living in housing that is adequate uh, to their needs. They just can't afford it. Uh, and that is that lack of affordability is pushing people into homelessness. What would the qualification process look like? Uh, well, it, that depends on how the government w- wanted to implement it, but it would most likely be an application process very similar to what you see that uh, for the government's one-time top-up, people who are um, who qualify as being uh, low income in the community, below area median income, and, and their rent is uh, about 50% of their gross income or more would be able to apply, uh, and it would be delivered directly to them uh, via uh, Canada Revenue Agency, similar similar to uh, the current benefit or the current one-time top-up or uh, other benefits like uh, like the federal climate change incentives. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Tim Richter, President and CEO of the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness. We're talking about a, a potential homelessness prevention and housing benefit, which sounds like a really good idea. What would the total dollar amount, you think, would make this work and make this beneficial to Canadians? 
Well, our, our preferred option would uh, cost about $3 billion a year um, to the federal government. Now, there are options uh, to make it a little less expensive. That would just really mean that you would help uh, fewer people. But I think it's important for folks to remember that that homelessness unchecked today costs over $7.5 billion a year. Uh, at, you know, So that's $7.5 billion a year that's being spent on homelessness from all sources, governments, uh, federal, provincial, municipal government, uh, donors, uh, and other sources, um, and the problem's not getting better. So we think you invest the money now uh, to save money later. Ultimately, if we, if the problem gets worse and worse and we don't solve it, it gets much more expensive uh, down the road. Well, and it sounds like it's getting worse and worse. Your poll also found that 24 percent of Canadians are worried about paying the rising housing costs next month. That's up nine percent from 2021. And it it doesn't sound like I I know this for a fact that more and more people are living house poor, which could contribute Mm -hmm. to an increased amount of homelessness in the next, I don't know, few months, few years. Well, yeah, just think about, you know, taking, you know, as I walked, as as I walked my dog in the morning, I think about, you know, every fourth house I go by, uh, somebody is worried about paying rent. And that's a stunning number. It's even uh, more acute among young people between the ages of 18 to 34, fully a third of young people are worried about paying their, their housing costs. That it's a, that's a staggering number when you consider just how many Canadians are really struggling now with their with their cost of rent, and especially acute as we come to the end of the month and rent is due. Got about 45 seconds. If uh, we have, uh, I'm sure there's some listeners out there thinking, well, I, I got to assist in this. I got to lend my support to this call. How can they go about doing so? Well, you can, uh, uh, the best thing you can do is write your MP or give them a call. Um, and you can do so easily through our website. If you go to caeh.ca, uh, we've got an action tab there uh, under uh, some information on our housing benefit where you can go and uh, with one or two clicks, send a letter to your MP, but give them a call, uh, tell them this is something that's important to you, and uh, that'll be a huge help. Tim, appreciate your time. Good luck with this. Thanks, Rick. Tim Richter is the president and CEO of the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness. Again, more information online, C-A-E-H. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The question is, who in fact did stay at a $6,000 a night hotel room in London, England during the Queen's funeral last year? Someone connected to the federal government was there. We don't quite know who, but man, oh man, do we ever want to find out? That's a lot of money that we're paying for. Well, the Canadian Taxpayers Federation is going above and beyond to try and find out which individual was in fact staying at this hotel. It's filed a legal challenge to find out. Franco Terrazano is the federal director with the Canadian Taxpayers Federation and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Franco, good morning. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. And I just want to say, you know, I don't think you need to be Sherlock Holmes to figure out who it was who stayed in that $6,000 per night hotel room. But this is a matter of principle, right? The governor general, she has already came out and she said, hey, it wasn't me. I wasn't in that $6,000 per night hotel room. So I guess we can all kind of think who it was who stayed in that room. But like I said, this is a matter of principle. They wasted our money. They spent $6,000 per night on a hotel room. And the government 
owes taxpayers transparency on this one. So there were uh, a number of dignitaries, if you will, attending the funeral, um, including Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, hmm, former mm-hmm. <laughs> former prime ministers. There was a couple of former governors general there, uh, some First Nations leaders as well as pretty big congregation. So talk about this legal challenge. How, how does this work? What do you hope to find out? And, and is an answer going to come? Well, when the Toronto Sun first broke the story of the total $400,000 hotel bill uh, with, with one room costing $6,000 per night, we filed an access to information request right away. And it was a simple question. It was, hey, who stayed in the $6,000 per night hotel room? Now, we just got a response. They sent us the response back. They wrote down the name. Then they blacked it out. So we got a completely redacted response from the government. And they gave us some bogus reasons for covering up the response. They cited Section 16 and Sections 19 of the Access to Information Act, but that doesn't pass the sniff test. And I can get into that into uh, into the details in a second here. But essentially, they were claiming personal reasons and security concerns as reasons not to disclose information to taxpayers. So we have already filed a challenge with the uh, information commissioner, and we're ready to fight this thing through the courts if need be to get the answer for taxpayers. The security reasons are are bogus because it's after the fact. (laughs) Totally bogus. I mean, uh, the Queen's funeral happened five months ago. So unless the government is worried about the Terminator traveling back in time, (laughs) we can safely disclose who it was who stayed in that room. Also, all the names are already public who who was on this uh, who was on this trip to the Queen's funeral. But you know what? The personal information claim is also bogus. Uh, The law is very clear that these types of expenses are not under the personal information exemption. Uh, Because if you're on official taxpayer business, if you're spending taxpayers' money, then you have a legal responsibility to be accountable and transparent about it. But here's the real nail in the coffin, okay? Because under the laws, the government could just ask the individual in question if it's okay to disclose the information. So So did the government ask that individual Did that individual say no? What's going on here? And, you know, that's $6,000 a night that's coming out of our contribution to the federal government. This is incredibly wasteful spending. Incredibly wasteful spending. And you're right. This is tax dollars that were spent here at a time when you have families who are worried about uh, the cost of a jug of milk. Right. You have our leaders in government making this type of extravagant spending. But even beyond the dollar figure of $6,000 per night in a hotel room, which is ridiculous as I say it out loud with my mouth, uh, is the the principle of transparency, right? You always have governments trying to bend the rules to withhold information from taxpayers, but we're not going to let this fly because if we let them get away with this, they'll continue to do it. And that's why we've launched that legal challenge. Franco, is there any timeline to when you might get an answer? No, I don't have a timeline for you, unfortunately. That's uh, that's too bad. I, I did find it, I'm not sure if amusing is the word, but interesting that the Governor General was pretty quick to say, it was me. <laughs> yeah, she wasn't willing to eat that. <laughs> yeah, definitely not, right? I mean, at the time, let's, let's not forget, she was already in hot water of her own spending scandal when her and her entourage 
uh, billed taxpayers for nearly six figures on fancy airplane food during their week-long trip. So they're willing to eat beef Wellington and beef Carpaccio on our dime, but the governor general wasn't willing to eat this one. Wow, the River Suite sounds nice at this hotel, but certainly unaffordable to uh, pretty much every Canadian out there. Franco, thanks for shining a spotlight on this and, and for being a dog on a bone with us. Hopefully you find out the answer. <laughs> thanks for having me on today. That is Franco Terrazano, the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Listen, I get it. I, I know public figures, politicians, they have, you know, a, a kitty to dip into to spend on trips. You know, this happens. This is part of the the perks of being a public figure. You know, there's some pros and there's some cons. This is definitely a pro, but they should remember this is us who's paying for it at the end of the day. And I think in this case, and in many cases, they forget about that. They forget about that. This is this is hogs in the trough slurping up our dollars. I know it's a horrible metaphor, but that's basically what's happening. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The Our Kids Network is offering something pretty cool. It's a course that provides some basic knowledge of truth and reconciliation. It's called the Four Seasons of Reconciliation course. And I'm hoping that some of you listening right now will think, yeah, let's dive into this thing. Let's learn more about truth and reconciliation. Here to talk about it is Angela Belgard, Indigenous Strategy Manager with Our Kids Network. Angela, good morning. Welcome back to the show. Good morning, Rick. Always a pleasure to be on the show. And wow, so great to hear that electronic uh, power music first thing. That's a wake up. <laughs> That'll get you up and going in the morning for sure. Tell us about the four seasons of reconciliation. Well, my pleasure. Four Seasons of Reconciliation is an online learning program. It's been around for some time, um, and it's in partnership with the First Nations University of Canada out in um, Treaty 6 area, Treaty 4 area. Listen, it's fantastic. A lot of our big organizations in um, Canada are using it. It is dynamic. It is full of great knowledge about Indigenous people in Canada. And we have had nothing but positive feedback from all our learners who have taken it. When I first heard about it, I thought, is this, is this a heavy course in terms of material that's really going to make you think? Well, you know, I wouldn't say it's heavy, but okay. everybody has said that they have learned something that they've rated their um, their knowledge prior to taking the course, which is only ten modules, couple hours of your time, um, as pretty is low to medium and after high to very high, and it's really um, sparked their need to know more. Really, it's a basic understanding that's been missed in our Canadian school systems by generations. So, from you know who is how how did Indigenous people get to where they are through the Indian Act to understanding the legacy and intergenerational tra- trauma of the residential schools? That could be heavy, but honestly, there's a it ends with a great piece about reconciliation and restitution and a positive outlook for our future as Canadians that we all need to think about in this era of truth and reconciliation. This is something that I wish when I went to school was part of the the, the lesson plan. For for the day. I remember one of my favorite uh, subjects in high school was world religion because it opened my eyes to all these other religions that I really had no knowledge about. This is kind of the same thing. We, we, we should be learning about this in our schools. Could this uh, weave its way into the school system? Well, absolutely. And indeed, uh, in many di- school districts, including Halton here, 
um, definitely this is the basic education. But I have to say that I think it's this generation of uh, youth who are actually going to move truth and reconciliation forward because they are learning more and they're curious. It's really the generation prior and, the, and all the generations prior who did not learn this in school. And this is a fan, this course is a fantastic way to really begin that learning. It is time. It's the time is now for all Canadians to get in there, learn the truth so that we can move forward towards reconciliation uh, as a community and as a country. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Angela Belgard, Indigenous Strategy Manager with Our Kids Network. It is offering a course to the public that provides basic knowledge of truth and reconciliation. That course is called the Four Seasons of Reconciliation. How can our listeners go about accessing this course? Well, I'm happy you asked me that. All you need to do, the course is free. And you just need to go to ourkidsnetwork.ca and click the button that says register here. Very easy, very simple. We've had almost 500 people go through it and we really are looking to put another 500 through. And I think that this is one way that we will move the needle really in for truth and reconciliation in this area. And this is something that people can do on their own time. Like they're not having to physically go to a classroom. They can do it at home, um, you know, sit down, grab their tablet, laptop, phone, whatever the case is, and, and take in all this information. Absolutely. Online, anytime you're ready to do it, uh, if the access is yours. We are finding that people think they'll start, you know, do one hour at a time, but they're so engaged with the material that they do it in one sitting. They, I can't tell you, the production value on this is fantastic. The interviews with learned Indigenous people, and I include elders in that, um, are just amazing. Absolutely fantastic. I know everybody will get something very positive out of this. How was this put together and was the, I guess, the long-term play releasing this to the to, to everyone to kind of digest and learn? Well, I've known about the program and as I say, many of our large institutions in Canada have adopted it as their learning opportunity around uh, Indigenous truth and reconciliation. It is geared to professionals and to the general public. And, you know, because I've known that and I really believe that if you're going to do truth and reconciliation right, you need to understand the truth first. And that is the truth of Indigenous people um, before you can make reconciliation a reality. Otherwise, it's just hollow. So this course helps you learn and get you going on the truth of Indigenous people in Canada, our history, our culture, our worldview, which is quite different uh, than many people. So it's time is now. Let's all uh, start learning the truth so that we can move truth and reconciliation forward. We only have about a minute. We know that the truth has to come before the action, but do you think this is going to spur some action? I absolutely believe it. For the uh, the learners who've already gone through, they're all, okay, what more? What more can I do to learn? And then what can we do to make this happen? What can we do to make reconciliation happen? Most people are, you know, they're shocked to learn about the truth. Um, they're dismayed about how the government has uh, acted and how Indigenous people have been treated. And so, yeah, people want to do more. They're just not sure where to start. But I'm telling you, learn the truth first and recon- we can make reconciliation happen together. We are offering additional courses at Our Kids Network because of people saying, I need to know more about the treaties with uh, in my area. I need to know more about land acknowledgements. Is that a 
a step towards reconciliation. And absolutely, it all fits. We can all learn more online at ourkidsnetwork.ca through the Four Seasons of Reconciliation course. Uh, Angela, this sounds fantastic. Good luck with it. We'll certainly touch base with you down the road. Absolutely. I hope you register, Rick. I'm in. I'm in. Angela Belgard <laughs> is the Indigenous Strategy Manager at Our Kids Network. Yeah, I love learning about uh, this kind of stuff, and I'll definitely be registering on ourkidsnetwork.ca. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Hamilton Tiger Cats doing a little shopping on the first day and a half of CFL free agency. They brought in a bunch of new guys and said, I've said goodbye to a bunch more. On offense, the team has added the likes of left tackle Joel Figueroa, who's back in Hamilton. Running back James Butler, who I'm sure is going to add some excitement to the backfield. And receiver Duke Williams, a big electrifying force on offense. On defense, Hamilton has signed defensive lineman Jagera Davis. He is back in Steeltown. And I guess we're guaranteed we're going to go to the Great Cup because each and every year that Davis has been in the league... He's gone to the Grey Cup. So, yeah, let's do it. Uh, Casey Sales, a defensive lineman who spent some time with the Blue Bombers last couple of seasons, is now in the Hammer. And linebackers Jameer Thurman and Chris Edwards from the Stamps and Argos, respectively. So a lot of new faces and some quality players at that. Uh, had the chance to chat with head coach Orlando Steinauer as he reflected yesterday on implementing the free agency plan. Yeah, I think, you know, just to start off, I think that in free agency, you always have a plan. And I haven't been part of one where everything's gone according to plan. So you, you kind of have a, a plan B. And then uh, from there, there's times when you're, you're dipping into the C bucket, if you will. That's just kind of how it works. And, you know, I just can't give enough credit to, you know, our personnel department with uh, Spencer, Ed and and, uh, you know, obviously Drew and, and, and another Spencer, Bohm, who's joined us again. Uh, a lot of tireless work that's went into this. And, yeah, we're pleased where we're at. I asked Coach O what the plan was with free agent linebacker Simone Lawrence. He's the one name, maybe aside from Dane Evans, who is on the lips of most Ticats fans. What, what's going on with Simone? Will he be back? Yeah, we have a plan. Yeah, uh, that's we're still working. We're still working through that process, and uh, I think it's it's trending uh, extremely favorably for us, and and I think for Simone also. Um, it's just he's not in this bucket of of signings at this time. So it sounds like Simone Lawrence, big old number twenty one. Um, you can say arguably one of the faces of the franchise for sure is going to be back in black and gold. To Jagarin Davis. Uh, who was in Hamilton, had a phenomenal run with the Ticats, went to Toronto, won the Grey Cup, bringing him back to Hamilton. Was that a priority? Here's Coach O's answer to that. Well, I think it speaks for itself. Like when you talk about Jagarit, first of all, he's very familiar with the building, uh, with our environment and our culture. Uh, as far as getting after the passer, um, you know, I put him up there uh, with anybody in the league. And you just don't ever know what's going to be available. Uh, and so when you have an opportunity um, to go after somebody like that, I think you did. It was an, an area of, of interest uh, for us that we wanted to try and address. And you don't know how it's going to end up. So um, for Jagarit, it was a no-brainer for us. And, you know, it was, it was exciting to see uh, his smile back in the building. Talking CFL free agency with head coach and president of football operations with the Hamilton Tiger Cats, Orlando Steinauer, here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. And, you know, he reflected on his first answer of not being able to 
keep everyone, uh, and it's really impossible in a salary cap world. Uh, receiver Stephen Dunbar Jr., linebacker Javon Santos Knox, defensive lineman Micah Johnson and Julian Hauser, as well as defensive backs Jamal Roll and Carriel Brooks, all going to other teams in the Canadian Football League. And Coach Steinauer said it's tough losing. Losing the player is one thing. Losing the person and the character that they bring to the locker room, that's entirely different. Well, yeah, change is always inevitable. And I think, you know, everybody's replaceable. Everybody that I'm looking at, myself. Uh, but I think what's hard is the relationships. Like, people are hard to replace. Players are always replaceable. Everybody can do all of our jobs. But it's about assembling the right people. And I think that's what the painful thing is in this, right? Um, we lost some great people. And, you know, those tackles, those receptions, all those things will be replaced. But the people are hard to replace. But that's why I spoke to the character of the people um, that are going to be in those shoes, uh, most likely. So uh, when it comes to building the environment and the culture, I think we've worked with something we spend time on. Uh, I'm not overly concerned with that at all. And, uh, you know, obviously we'll see how that goes uh, once we get to training camp. But there's so many conversations and different things that happen uh, behind the scenes before we even set foot on the field at McMaster this year. And in the salary cap world, CFL cap per team is about five and a half million bucks. Coach O basically saying, listen, it's, it's impossible to sign star players at every position in a salary cap world. You cannot be strong in every area of your football team. It's very hard to do uh, when you're talking about usually five receiver positions, you know, six defensive back positions. To, to think that you're going to be able to get the best of everything and fit it under that thing called a cap, um, it, it's very rare. It, it doesn't just usually work like that. There's concessions that need to be made, and I know that was part of our high achievement around here. You know, there's people that made a lot of sacrifices, some key veterans and things like that that made sacrifices financially to keep, you know, for the good of the whole. And sometimes you're able to do that. And sometimes it's people's time to get paid. And so you can't, you can't assemble all of that. And so, um, yeah, I just think that it's in those cases, it is the talent that you're able to stack in your pipeline and the whole league's faced with the same type of challenges, meaning with the other leagues and those type of things. And that's just what it is. That's the landscape. Once you know the rules, then let's play the game. So uh, there'll be no excuses. Uh, they know that they, there's a tall task ahead of them and areas that we feel like we weren't able to address the way we'd like to in free agency. Uh, we're going to address them hard uh, in the talent that we bring up in training camp. He's right. It's impossible to sign all the players that you do want to sign. You just try to get the ones uh, that are at the top of the priority list. And there were many of them for Coach O and the team. I also asked uh, Steinauer, uh, it, was he excited about one free agent signing in particular? Here's his answer. Great question. Wouldn't answer it. Well, I'm excited at the whole group. I mean, that's that's the truth. Like, they're, why would you bring in somebody that you haven't vetted and, and, and those type of things? So excited the whole group would never, you know, why, why would you single one out? Because everybody's important. I also asked Coach O if there was one free agent that he didn't think that he was going to land but did, and he basically said yes, but wouldn't say which player that was, so we're left to guess. If I had to guess, it w my guess would be left tackle Joel Figueroa. I mean, he's a big guy, he's a veteran player, and he's going to help protect the team's biggest investment in Bo Levi Mitchell. You're paying him $500,000, $550,000 a year in Mitchell. You're going to want a guy who's going to protect him, that is for sure. And on the Dane Evans front, 
Steinauer says he and Evans' agent have been communicating, but wouldn't really elaborate further to that. So the communication lines are open, whether there's a trade in the offing, whether he's going to be released to find um, somewhere else to play, that remains to be seen. We'll continue to follow that for sure here on 900CHML. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900CHML. Well, the Canadian International Auto Show is coming back to the Metro Toronto Convention Centre, and it all starts this weekend and runs until February the 26th. Here to give us a lowdown of what is happening is David McLean, the Director of Marketing Services at the Canadian International Auto Show. David, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Yeah, I'm doing great. It's an exciting time to be in the auto industry, I have to say that. It's the 50th anniversary of this show, which I did not realize until I was on the website the other day. Wow, happy 50th. Yeah, well, thank you very much. It all started in 1974 out on Airport Road at the International Center. And uh, it's funny, we were just talking about it this morning, but some of our past presidents and people have been around for the last 50 years and talking about all the changes in the auto industry and, of course, the auto show. Uh, I've been to the auto show a few times in the past. It is always a phenomenal experience to see, you know, the new vehicles that are coming on, but also to relive some of those, oh, yeah, I remember this car. This is an awesome vehicle. Or just seeing the exotic cars that you can never afford, but they're still fun to look at. What's the highlight for you? Well, I think the highlight is really where the future, the future of the auto industry and where it's headed. And we've got a number of great features this year that really serve that interest. One is uh, Electric City with the electrification of the auto industry and, and, uh, and all the changes that are happening and the rapid changes of, that are happening, people need to understand uh, the whole ecosystem around uh, electric vehicles. What does ownership of an electric vehicle mean that's different from an internal combustion engine? So we have Electric City, but there's also that extended opportunity to test drive an electric vehicle right here at the show. We've got a 70,000-square-foot test track where you can uh, try one of or all of the 19 vehicles that are available from the Canadian manufacturers who are participating in the feature. So there are a lot of really great things at this year's auto show, and it's something that's really unique because I would say it's more experiential than ever before. Yeah, I would imagine so. And I would also imagine that the lineup to test drive one of these electric vehicles is going to be long. Do you have to pre-register or is it first come, first serve? Well, right now it's first come, first serve, but we do have a plan B in effect, and we're not sure what the uh, the uptick will be on this. We think it's going to be a very popular feature, so we'll have a backup plan in place, and we'll go to uh, sort of a, a reservation process if it does get too busy. Um, but certainly it's uh, it's one that will be convenient for uh, for attendees. EVs are certainly stealing the spotlight. Is Is there a greater percentage of them at the auto show this year than ever before? Well, the, the internal combustion engines, what they commonly refer to as ICE, still outnumber the EVs in the marketplace, obviously, and, and the number of vehicles that are available in the Canadian market. But the fastest growing automotive segment is the electric vehicle market. Uh, we're seeing, I mean, at one point in time, I guess uh, the last show we had just under 5%, this is back in 2020, just under 5% of uh, all new vehicles in Canada uh, sold or EV. And now that's, you know, upwards of 8 to 10% is what they're forecasting for this year. So the growth is is exponential, and uh, consumers are very, very interested in terms of, uh, you know, what that means to them. What does that mean to their personal mobility opportunity? Uh, You know, they want to know what is, you know, obviously there are questions about range, and people have to get over range anxiety, and they have to understand about charging capacity, how long it takes, how how much does it cost to to charge my car, and of course, what's the residual value of my car after four years? So there's a lot to learn, and I think that's one of the big values of the Auto Show this year. You can get your tickets online at autoshow.ca. should be a lot of fun, whether it's uh, the Hot Wheels exhibit, uh, checking out uh, many of the EVs, getting into one. That should be a lot of fun. David, thanks for the time. Good luck with the show. All right. Thanks very much.
That's David McLean, the Director of Marketing Services at the Canadian International Auto Show. Again, the website, autoshow.ca. You can also see some of the vehicles that will be on display at the Metro Toronto Convention Centre. It all starts this coming weekend and runs until February the 26th. I'll be checking it out. Hopefully, uh, we'll see you there as well. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 5.30 to 9 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.